So I felt this afternoon just to build on what Andrew shared last week. I thought it was a key word. Um, it definitely broke open some things. It challenged some understanding. And um, it, it definitely opposed, opposed some of the things that, or, or the way we saw things. Many of us probably saw things or experienced things or done things. It definitely challenged some of that. And I think it's, and, and some of the teachings that it challenged is years of the same teaching. And um, then one time, it's like an hour on one Sunday, he preaches and he helps us to establish right foundations. And, and then we just carry on. I don't think that's helpful, you know. I also want to, just in one session, challenge years of a certain way of thinking. And I just felt to re- build on that. And I think it's also biblical to do that. Um, we acknowledge that he carries a grace, an apostolic grace. And, and I think it's, it's good to build on that um, as we want to see our congregation grow, each one grow and mature. So I just want to carry on building a bit on that, um, looking at the aspect of trials. How do, we, how do we posture ourselves? How do we approach trials? But I felt like some of these things is applicable to any time, any experience you've got, any, whether it's a trial or it's going well, I, I feel this is applicable, irrespective. So I want to speak today about the person, the posture, and the enemy within. It sounds like a Chronicles of Narnia title. Um, <laughs> The person, the posture, and the enemy within. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to look at these three aspects that's relevant to trials that we face, or just everyday life. Um, so when um, Paul writes a book of Philippians, and I read through, and there's a section of Philippians that I felt highlighted three aspects. That it's, I'm not necessarily going to go chronologically or systematically through two chapters, but I want to highlight aspects that I felt is, is key for us to, to understand um, as we face life on this side of eternity. Um, so Paul writes the book of Philippians about 10 years after the church got birth, um, and Paul is in prison. And one of the things about the book of Philippians, it's probably one of the nicest books Paul wrote, you know? It's like, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And, and there's the stowed of, he doesn't challenge them really. You know, at one someone getting baptized. Um, Shal, <laughs> uh, do you want to tell us when you accepted Jesus? Okay. So, um, so Paul, Paul, what did it say? 11. <laughs> I got the math wrong. So, um, so Paul writes this, and he, he basically, at one stage he calls one group of people the dog, but in, in general, he's, he's, the whole tone of his book is, is very happy, very joyful, very nice. But Paul writes this while he's suffering, and he's in prison. And it got me thinking, why does he write with this tone when he's actually facing some serious hardship? And I think that's, to draw from that would be helpful for us, because he's writing, interesting enough, the... the nicest book, the most joyful book of all these books, and he's facing hardship, and he's facing a trial. So what things can we draw from there? Firstly, the person. Paul understood that the true gift is not a breakthrough or getting free from his situation. The true gift is Jesus himself. It's the person. So as we are faced with various things in our lives, it could be trials, whatever, We've heard this teaching, what is the key to the breakthrough? And Andrew spoke about the key to the breakthrough. The thing about the key is a humanistic thing. What can I do to find breakthrough? But even the breakthrough in itself, if it's not the person, we're missing the point. Because in the old covenant, it was a physical covenant. So, so God blessed the people and gave them breakthrough. 
so that the other nations can see God was with them. But now, in the new covenant, the blessing is not the physical things that change us, but it's the person of Jesus Christ. Because the veil has now been torn and we've got access to Him, which they didn't have. And from that place we lived, as, as Liesl also touched on. So let's just quickly go to Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. He was speaking about how, how esteemed Jew he was. You know, he had everything going for him. And then he says, I consider all this thing lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through him, um, through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 4 verse 12. Um, you can just skip that quickly and go back to that after the scripture. I know and what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him, Christ, who strengthens me. You can quickly go back to the other slide. So if you, if you really want to draw from what Paul writes here, he's, he's writing from a, a different point of view in the terms of, he's not writing from an Old Testament point of view, he's writing from a New Testament point of view, where the veil has been torn and we now belong to Jesus. And he says, the Jewish thinking was I had to do a lot of things to gain blessing or to make it. But now I don't have to do that anymore. Now I've got the wonderful gift of, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And as we face trials and difficulties, it's not about coming through it. It's about finding Him. And when you find Him, whether you come through it or not, you'll experience the passing greatness of knowing Him. You'll experience the peace. You'll experience the joy, irrespective of the circumstances. So I want to, in the next couple of weeks, I want to dive into the, just the difference between the old and the, and the new covenant, because I think it's vital that we understand it. Otherwise, we look through life, this life, through the wrong lens. In the old covenant, the blessing was things. So if you do this, I will bless you. And the reason why God wanted to bless them is so that other nations could see God was with them. So things was the blessing. Now in the new covenant, the blessing is access to God himself. Their home was the promised land. They had to go take that. They had to lay hold of that. Our home is now in heaven. And so that's why Paul writes, my home is not here on this earth. My home is in heaven. I'm now a citizen of heaven. And if we understand that we are citizens of heaven, we look at what we face here on earth differently because we understand it's not about what we gain here. It's about what we gain in our home. For the Israelites, it was all about what they could gain in the promised land, physical place. For us, it's what we can gain in eternity. And then the enemy was other nations opposing Israel. It was physical, physical enemy. But now our enemy is the flesh. Because you see, the old covenant, it was a physical covenant. But things, other nations had to physically see. They had to do things. The new covenant is a spiritual one. And so now, irrespective of what we face here on this physical earth, 
we now have access to him and our spirit man can be refreshed and as our spirit man is refreshed we find hope to deal with what we face here on earth so firstly we got to understand that the key to the breakthrough there's no key really <laughs> the breakthrough is him and that, that is it so Corrie ten Boom, apparently when they were in a concentration camp with her sister, there was a bunch of fleas where they were. It was horrible. And Corrie ten Boom was complaining, complaining, complaining. And then the sister said, stop complaining. Just start thanking God for these fleas. And let's love the people here. And they started preaching the gospel and just thank God for the fleas. And after days, apparently close to weeks, of just ministering the gospel to the people in the concentration camp, she realized that they've never been bugged by any of the gods as they shared the gospel because they didn't want to get there <laughs> where the fleas were. And somehow in that situation, I thought to myself, how can you get content in that? I mean, it's, it's one thing to read that there was fleas. But I mean, I've been bitten by fleas. It's horrible. I mean, it's like you each, especially if it's summer, it's like even worse, and it's, it's absolutely horrible. And somehow they found contentment in that situation, the worst of situations. How did they find it? I, th I think they found the breakthrough. They found the person. And when they found the person, they realized, let's glorify him in this situation, and then people will be drawn to him. When we face some difficulties, uh, I remember the one time, um, Lizaldi's one of her biggest fear was getting a miscarriage. And um, the first time we were pregnant, or she was pregnant, it, it looked pretty much, we went for blood tests, and they said, look, it's concerning here. We must come for another one. But if the numbers don't pick up, the counts don't pick up, it's most likely a miscarriage. And she was gripped by fear, you know? Um, gripped by fear, because here's the thing that she probably feared most, is realizing. And then, over the weekend, we saw, here's the evidence that it's definitely going to be a miscarriage. And obviously, all that emotion overcame her. And I realized I can't tell her things are going to be right. Because <laughs> I can't. Jesus said, in this world, yeah, we'll have troubles. But I can point her to the one. And if she finds him, I know that she'll have peace amidst this difficulty that she's facing. And I just told her, look, I will, let's just, for the next while, just try and find him. Whatever you do, pursue him. And she did it, probably for about two, two and a half hours. She just sought him. And then suddenly a breakthrough came and she was a different person. I knew that if she didn't find that, she probably had weeks and weeks that she would have struggled. She did struggle. But because she found him, it was a different, it was a different journey from that point on. I remember when Reese had colic. Um, and it's just like, I know, and I'm sharing this because I know some of you are just got babies and babies are coming and, and some of you have the little ones. And we had colic, we didn't sleep, but it was just chaos it was absolute chaos and I remember the song that I put on the whole time was um, I need thee <laughs> oh Lord I need thee because I couldn't really pray it I was just like God I, this, is, this is what I'm trying to say I just I need you because I realized that we had to see this time through it was challenging our capacity was low but I needed to find him so that I can be a good husband to her so that I can be patient, because I didn't have capacity in me to be patient. But as I found him, things shifted. Our circumstances didn't shift, but something shifted in us as we found him. And I think that's the key, is the person, the person. Jesus said, um, uh, you can go to the next scripture, John, thanks.
did it freeze? Um, that's the one scripture I don't have my notes. <laughs> I just put it on the PowerPoint. But I think it's John 16, verse 33. Jesus basically saying, in this world, you will have troubles. But now I give you myself. And you'll have peace because I'm in you. And um, in, amidst all the struggles and the trials and the difficulties, it's in him that we find true peace. Is it then? I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's in him that we find true peace amidst the circumstances. Our pursuit should not be to change the circumstances, but to find Christ. Is it wrong to ask for the change in the circumstances? Not at all. But if our circumstances change or not, we've got to make sure that we are rooted in Christ. And the reason why I'm sharing this, because I know not everyone's going through trials, but we've got to make sure that in our prayers, Christ is the focus. The writer of Hebrews says, I run this race with my eyes fixed on Jesus. Not on a better future. Not on a change in circumstances. Not in a career. Not in some form of success. The aim was Jesus Christ. And as people that's been born from Christ, that's got to be our ultimate aim. And from that place, Liesl said, from that righteousness, we live, we make decisions. And we pray, we ask God for circumstances to change. But irrespective, our hope is in Him. The second one is our posture. Our posture when we face difficulties. Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we posture ourselves when we face difficulties? We pray. We seek Him. And we do that with thanksgiving. I've heard many times as people face difficulties, they say they're praying. I'm praying so that I can get, I'm praying and I'm praying, but I'm not seeing any change in the circumstances. The prayer is not a key to the breakthrough. The prayer is because we're pursuing the person. That's why we pray. And then we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. So we take that posture, posture of humility, a posture of dependence, and a posture of gratitude as we face various things. I've shared this a couple of weeks ago that many times if I read the com reports and I visit communities, a lot of our communities, when we do tests and testimonies, it's more tests than testimonies. And the reason why there's more tests than testimonies is because our pursuit is still a change in circumstances and not the person. And if we shift and we start thanking Him for what we have in Him, things will actually shift. They did a test, neuro neurological test, that gratitude and anxiety can't exist at the same time in your brain. Gratitude and anxiety can't exist in the same time in your brain. So it's funny, I think God knew, because <laughs> He created. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known. And the peace of God, the peace of God will rule in your heart. So many times we are overcome with anxiety, and I believe if we start thanking God, things will shift. Our perspective will change. Our posture needs to be that of thanksgiving. If I look at the Bible, if you look at when the Israelites complained, at one stage they complained, God opened up the earth and they swallowed 
a lot of people that were complaining. Complaining grieves God. And many times as we face various things, we say that we pray. We do have a posture of humility and we pray. But there's many times a lot of complaint with that. And I want to encourage us, let's be a people of thanksgiving. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, in every circumstances, give thanks. In every circumstances, give thanks. Um, the writer of this hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, um, well-known hymn. His name was Thomas Obadiah. He was born from a very poor family. Um, and he was the first one in his family actually to finish schooling and get qualification. And then he got saved and he had this dream to minister. Real dream. And he, he worked hard to actually be ordained as a minister. And as you're ordained as a minister, I think it's within a couple of year or years or just a year. It was very short-lived. He became ill and he could never minister anymore. And he had to go do other work. And from that point onward, his life was just plagued by illness. So he had this dream and it didn't happen. And this illness consumed the rest of his life. And in the time he wrote this poem, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessing all mine with 10,000 beside. How can someone that's so... If he looks at his life, he's probably filled with disappointment. Right. Blessings all mine, 10,000 beside. Because his pursuit was the person. Just blessed by his heart of gratitude here. So how do we face the trials and difficulties that we face? We face it in prayer, humility, dependence, and with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And I really want to encourage us, um, just if I can speak now, like Paul wrote, me, not the Lord. <laughs> if Kevin can speak now, I want to encourage us to have a culture of gratitude for one another. That we, I mean, Paul writes, and he's constantly writing, and he's actually upset with the church. He writes, every day I remind, remember you with thanksgiving. And I'm thinking, wow. So let's thank God for one another. Have a culture of thanksgiving. And I want to encourage us, even in our dialect, to shift where we thank God regularly and, and have a culture of thanksgiving. In our communities, let's for a season just have thanksgiving and testimonies. <laughs> I think it's good that we share what we're going through, but if it stays there, there's definitely a problem with our thinking. We've got to shift. We've got to transition. And I want to encourage us... I, I, Many times our testimonies are many times things that have shifted. And I think that's sometimes where we lack testimony in the communities and it's more test. Because the things haven't shifted. Our circumstances have shifted. But if our pursuit is a person, I think we'll have a wealth of testimonies that amidst this, I found him. Amidst the struggle, amidst the desperation, amidst anxiety, amidst the difficult circumstance at work where everyone's against me, I found peace. Hallelujah, let's praise God. I found peace. Because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing that we need for life and godliness. And so we can testify of that. I once heard someone come to me and said, Oh, Kevin, I've got a testimony. I struggled to read the Bible for years. And suddenly I just 
found new life. It's like the, the Bible became life to me. So I know it's not the typical testimony, and it's probably not one we want to share, but can I testify about that? I'm like, that's actually the testimonies that I want us to share, where it's not changing circumstances, but it's something of God that He's shifted in my heart. And now the words become alive to me. Praise God! Praise God for those, those workings of God. So um, we're not going to stop. If God provides financially, praise God. We, we can still share them. But I really want to encourage us that we start sharing where God comes and He transforms us. And He rids us of our flesh. And Christ gets formed. Those testimonies. Let's embrace them. Let's share them. And the last one is the enemy within. The enemy within. And I find many times in life, especially trials, normally there's flesh that arises. <laughs> flesh that comes out. In that, and I believe God wants us to deal with that. Um, they say many times, if, if you want to see what's really within the toothpaste, press it, and it comes out. And many times in trials, that's what happens. It's, there's a pressing, and then something comes out. And um, in Psalms 68, verse 1 to 3, it says, may God, arise, may God arise and his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. A smoke is blown away by the wind. May you blow them away as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Andrew recently at our eldest time, he just shared and he felt that when that scripture was the emphasis, may God arise, may God arise. And he just felt in that brief moment, he said, God, what are your enemies now? Because we're not in the Old Testament, or Old Covenant anymore. And this was the enemies, the nations of God. What is your enemy now? And he felt the Lord said, it's the flesh. It's the flesh. As flesh arises, that, the flesh opposes God. The flesh opposes the will of God. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. So the flesh opposes the will of God. You see in the book of Galatians, there is this huge contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul says, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. We live according to the spirit. This, the, the, the flesh is at war against the Spirit. Is that scripture there, John? So, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, um, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so in our circumstances, many times flesh arises. Um, when you've got a little one, kids, and it's just like non-stop. And it's like a, a battle. <laughs> I've seen some of the parents nodding. And it's just a battle, getting them ready for church. And it's just getting them ready for school. Or they come home from school, they're tired, they have meltdowns, and you've had a difficult day. And suddenly there's like, in that pressure, it's like, <laughs> flesh, anger. Hatred, <laughs> um, frustration. In that moment, as flesh arise, we're going to say, God, help me so that you would arise in the circumstances. Help me to deal with this. Help me to put this aside. Help me to put this off and bring it under your obedience so that Christ may arise, so that God may arise. And for God to arise 
in our circumstances, as we are tested there, at work, when people come against you, and all you want to do is defend, all you want to do is oppose, how does Christ arise? We've got to learn to be people that walk by the Spirit. We've got to be a people that depend on the Spirit. We've got to be a people that's in the presence of God so that the fruit of the Spirit can be cultivated, so that in our difficult circumstances, it's Christ that arises. It's God that arises. So I want to encourage you as you go through trials, we've got to be a people that abide in Him more than anything else. So I'm hoping I'm shifting us so that we don't look at circumstances and say, how can this end? But we rather look at these circumstances and saying, I need to make sure I'm in His presence. So it's not flesh that arises, but it's Christ that arises. It's God that arises, and that flesh melts like wax. When a leader comes in and challenges you, what's the thing that arises? Is it flesh, or is it humility? Is it Christ? When a brother or sister comes and says, I just want to encourage you, and maybe just speak into your area of your life, what is it that arises? When somebody betrays your trust in the church or they say something on a WhatsApp group and because you're not able to explain yourself in depth, you get offended, what do you do then? You bow your knee and you say, God, I don't want the flesh to arise. May you arise. I choose forgiveness. I choose compassion. I choose the way of Christ. In Philippians, Paul also speaks about that... Um, he had a lot of reason to boast in the flesh, but he doesn't boast in his flesh anymore because he's found Christ, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Maravis had a word um, last year, end of last year, that he feels that God is taking Durbanville into a new season, our congregation into a new season, where we will be marked by people of the Spirit, a people of the Spirit. And um, I think immediately you would think that we'll have wild meetings, you know, that the roof would shake and, and that they the foundations of this building would shake and God would come and touch us in a profound way. And I believe there's aspects of that as well. But the Spirit of God is not just limited to that. People of the Spirit means that we actually walk by the Spirit as well. So we have the meetings that the Spirit of God comes and He fills us. But we also become a people that walk by the Spirit as we face good times and hardships. We are people that learn how to walk by the Spirit. Because the Spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the Spirit. And if we just focus on what we need to do, I think we as a congregation, we, we're good in, in principles. We know what's the principles. We can apply principles. We can teach others what are the principles. But the principles don't war against the flesh. It's the life in the Spirit that war against the flesh. And I believe God is wanting to teach us to be more dependent on the Spirit so that we can war against the flesh. What is the enemy within as we face various trials? It's the flesh. Um, at the end of last year, we were in a situation with some family, and things happened which was, according to me and probably according to most, not right. And um, in a way, it was done to us. And immediately I, I realized, I'm trying to preserve myself here. The flesh is rising up. I want to make it clear that this is wrong. And I almost wanted to oppose the thing. And um, 
just spending some time with the Lord and waiting on the Lord, I felt the Lord said, forgive and be gentle. Forgive and be gentle. And as I heard that, I felt a sense of release came, where in the midst of a, a very difficult circumstance, I could find some form of joy and freedom because I found him and I heard him speak. Um, and I had to apply myself to that. So I want to encourage us as we face these various trials. Now it's, it's not about the change in circumstances, but it's about the person. Let's cultivate a posture where we pray and we give thanks. And let's realize that these circumstances push out something of the flesh that God wants to deal with. And let's deal with it. Let's deal with that that comes out as we learn to be a people dependent on the Spirit of God. Um, I find that if I spend time with the Lord, it's way easier to be in step with the Spirit. Um, and um, I know many times we speak about, you know, it's sometimes just in the journey that I find God. You know, it's not always about spending time with the Lord. And uh, it's, it become, I can't be religious and, and have these times. I, I find God on the, on the journey. Um, but I find that makes it sometimes very difficult to stay in step with the Spirit. You need to be able to be in His presence. And at times that you just wait on Him, as um, you wait on Him, He lifts you up. Um, and we've got to create a culture. So not in my notes, but I, I felt like for many of us here, I think we've forgotten the importance of waiting, waiting on God. Um, and practically for some, it might actually mean to wake up earlier or to, to schedule that time in your day where you're actually in the presence of God and you wait on Him and you wait on Him. Some of our marriages need that. Some of our marriages need that. I don't know, I felt like just encouragement for some of us here is some of our marriages need time where myself, my individually, I wait on the Lord so that the fruit of the Spirit can be cultivated so that I can be a blessing to my husband and wife. Some of us as parents, we need time where we can wait on the Lord because maybe what our kids see is more flesh than Christ. Some of us, for the work environment that we're in, we need to create time where we wait on the Lord so that the fruit of the Spirit can be cultivated. Because what the people need there is not a Christian moaning about the fleas with the other people there. They can see someone that reveals Christ in that workplace. Amen.